Welcome back, everyone, to 12-Pack Radio, the best freaking podcast in the world covering Pac-12 football news. This is Brian Conger, the host of Wildcat Radio AZ. You can follow the podcast for free on iTunes, Student Radio, Google Play, any podcast catcher. We are there. You can follow us and listen to the podcast on our website, wildcatradioaz.com, which is excellent. We have a ton of Pac-12 coverage up there, podcasts, written material, contests. We have our survivor pool. By the time you listen to this, you have like two days to, to get your picks in, but check that out. And we'll be announcing another contest a few weeks down the road. Um, and I am joined by Mr. Rob Bauer. And man, we finally did it. We did, we did do it. This is it. Like, we're, we're at the wire, but it for, counts. We bring it in all 12. And, and I need to, I'm, I'm purchasing a necklace for my wife for just having to put up with <laughs> so many freaking Back 12 coverage podcasts. But um, we really wanted to do this because I, I think that there is an opportunity here to cover the Pac 12 in a way um, that is unique and that is uh, engaging with our audience. And then uh, in a way that in, like integrates advanced statistics, like beta rank is a really good model. And, um, and by the way, people could follow it uh, on our website, Wildcat Radio AZ. We have advanced statistical breakdowns for every team. Let's take this moment, uh, uh, Rob, real fast before we get into ASU and do our last uh, uh, preview of a Pac-12 team. Can you just talk about the article you have up on the website right now? Because it's quite good. It's the week one breakdowns of all the teams that are going on. Yeah, so what I have up right now is uh, it's a breakdown of every matchup. Um, so in this case, because it's non-conference, there are uh, well, there are eleven because I don't do an FCS model. So Utah, I just expect to win. Um, I don't ha- I don't produce information for Weber State, but for everyone else, uh, for example, like San Diego State versus uh, Stanford, I have uh, radar charts, um, and therefore last year's. Uh, uh, breakdown of the uh, offense versus defense but then i also have um under that i have pr- the projected data that we have for 2018 so uh where stanford was last year um where the preseason model projects them to be um and the same for san diego state it gives you a good comparison of what the strengths are of the team um what the weaknesses are um what you can expect them to the offenses to try to do with running the ball how good the defenses are at stopping the run um you know explosive plays what whether you give up a lot of explosive plays or your offense depends on them. Um, you can see it in a, I think what is a very visually um, easy to understand format. So you're not just looking at my raw numbers on a page. Um, you're looking at a graph that gives you an easy way to sort of uh, make sense of it. A perfect example of this is the Oregon State versus Ohio State. You have <laughs> you've overlaid the Oregon State offense over. I'm sorry, you've, you've yeah under under. I would say under because that's probably the better description of this graph. Uh, under the Ohio State defense, it, it reminds me of uh, the film 300 where he goes, "We have so many arrows, we'll block out the sun." Like that's basically it does the, look like that. The yeah. Ohio State defense radar. Are, like just engulfs all of the offensive uh, of Oregon State, so uh, it's quite entertaining, and I do think that the content is really good. So check that out, Wildcat Radio AZ. It's one of the first links that you'll click on. And while you're there, join our Survivor Pool. Anything else we should plug? Where can people find you on Twitter, by the way? Uh, it's R Bowron one eight five six. Just my last name, B O W R O N. I did not pick a very easy to use Twitter handle when I was doing that, so I, I apologize. Did they did they just auto assign that number to you, or it's their number? They just took it off my email, and I was like, sure, whatever, you know. And uh, <laughs> not thinking that I would ever, you know, be uh, speaking my Twitter handle to anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we're just going to live with it, and I apologize. All right, well there you go. <laughs> um, but that, that that's pretty much it, right? Like anything. Else else we should talk about before we get into uh, to ASU? 
Uh, no, I mean, I, if anyone has any questions, I mean, there's a, there's a, some things that you could dive into and I'm more than happy to ask on, on like the, if, you know, what makes up the preseason model and how long the preseason model sits around with the data. And I think we'll probably get into that more as the season goes on because with the, you know, the, you know, I think every week I can tell people how much of the is actual data and how much is preseason model and that kind of thing. But um, we'll definitely keep all the numbers up to date. And uh, I, I have a pretty good cadence during the year of uh, updating the numbers on Sunday mornings. Awesome. OK, um, well, let's talk. Let's talk ASU, because I think this is the team that we disagree on the most. And I want to start by seeding a major point here, which you should never do when you're arguing over anything. But um, I am going to 100% see the fact that ASU's quarterback, Manny Wilkins, is quite good. And what I'd like to to start with is, well, first of all, let's read his numbers. And then I kind of want to see where we think he lies in terms of the Pac-12 quarterback. So last year, Manny Wilkins threw for 63% uh, completion rate. He threw for 3,200 yards, 12 touchdowns, I'm sorry, 20 touchdowns and eight interceptions. And then he had about 300 yards on the ground and seven touchdowns there, which I think people think of him as a dual threat quarterback. And he certainly scored a lot on the ground, but two yards per carry. And some of that is certainly due to ASU's offensive line and some of the the tackles behind the line and all that stuff. But uh, I just want to throw that out there that he is not like Khalil Tate or uh, even like Justin Herbert or <laughs> just in terms of no, he's, he's, the a numbers. Bi- he's a big he's a load I mean he is not uh, I mean not that he's not athletic but he is more of a load than he is a speedster yeah yeah okay so where where does he stand in the rankings of Pac-12 quarterbacks where would you put him Rob well, I actually had this argument with somebody from uh, like a Colorado fan <laughs> who wrote a list of Pac-12 quarterback power ranking and had Manny Wilkins like 10th. Yeah, okay, that's like, stupid. Yeah, that's I was like that's bananas. Like Ross Bowers is not a better quarterback than um Manny Wilkins and I actually don't think Steven Montez has proven himself a better quarterback. Yeah. Um I think if you're going down the list of current Pac-12 quarterbacks and you have to take into account that some folks have graduated and I mean we don't even know who UCLA's starting quarterback is yet. Um I think you really have to put Wilkins he's behind Tate um, just for pure, I mean, Tate's pure effect on the game. I don't know that anybody in the in the conference has a, an effect on their their unit like Tate does. Um, and then Browning, uh, yeah. and then it gets iffy. And you could you could make an argument that I, I mean, you could make an argument. Manny Wilkins is the third best quarterback in the league. Um, I think he sort of snuck under there because ASU has not been great the last two years, but. Um, he put up some good. He put up some really good numbers last year in a you know in a in a unit that didn't have a great line. And and I should mention that your assessment of that takes into consideration the fact that um, that Justin Herbert played against really weak competition. So because I, I, I know there's people yeah. like yelling at their radio right now, like oh what about, what about no? I mean Justin Herbert has not really played a full season yet, right? I mean like last year he missed. He, his best games came in the games that he played were mostly against the weakest defenses that Oregon played against. I mean, everyone puts up good numbers against Arizona and Oregon state. So, um, I think Herbert has more tools and more projection. And I think Herbert is going to have a big year. And I think that you could put him past Matty Wilkins for sure. You know, if he, if he proves it on the field and stays healthy all year, but, um, as far as, actual performance on the field over a full season. I mean, Manny Wilkins did it and he did it against, you know, Manny Wilkins wasn't, and he played pretty banged up and hurt. Not that Justin Herbert 
you know, shouldn't have tried to play, should have tried to play hurt. But Manny Wilkins was banged up like hell last year. Okay. I would still put him fourth just because we know what he is. And I am just projecting more into what Justin Herbert can be. And what I saw even against bad defenses was quite good. And the way that he transformed that offense and the difference between him and Braxton Burmeister. Granted, I think the difference between most (laughs) Pac-12 starting quarterbacks (laughs) and Braxton Burmeister is like night and day too. So, uh, but let's, let's get into ASU's numbers here before we go further into, you know, position by position. What did, what did the stats show them to be in 2017? So 2017, uh, you know, ASU graded out number 62 overall in the country. Um, they ranked number 39 on offense. So they were a fairly good offense. Um, they were decent to drive efficiency, ranking 45th. So they tended to uh, get the, some of their points on being able to put together drives. Um, they were 36th in explosiveness, uh, but they weren't great at play efficiency. And so this is where um, they, they didn't. There were a lot of times they went backwards. They had negative plays. Um, they didn't average, you know, a, a, you know, a bunch of yards per play, um, and that that hurt them a bit. But you know, they were so good on drive efficiency and putting together long drives, and so good at explosive plays that uh, it really helped them. That really wasn't overly bad. They were really balanced too. I mean, you don't see too many offenses like this. Um, they ranked 41st in effective rush and 42nd in effective pass. So definitely a team that you couldn't, they, they kept you guessing. Um, and it's something that'll be interesting with their new offensive coordinator coming in to see if they stick with that. They were very good on third down, uh, ranking 18th. Um, and they were number one overall. And I mean, college kickers, man, like they had a good one. Uh, they were number <laughs> one overall in red zone points per attempt. So good on them. I mean, like being able to put up points when you get in the red zone is critical. You can't waste those chances. Uh, defensively, they were 88. Uh, so they were pretty bad. <laughs> Better than um, I, I thought they were going to be last year, though. I mean, they were just hot trash in 2016. And 88, like you mentioned, is quite bad, but it's not like hundred or 127th or I mean yeah. I, looking at that number I was actually kind of surprised oh okay maybe they weren't as bad as I thought they were going to be well they didn't have a lot to hang their hat on even at 88 I mean they were 91st in drive efficiency so they gave up long drives they were 72nd in play efficiency so you could put up a good yards per play against them um, 83rd against explosiveness lots of big plays Todd Graham likes to blitz um, but they didn't cause a lot of negative drives not a lot of three and outs they didn't force people going backwards they were they were particularly bad against the run, um, ranking 98th, uh, 74th against the pass. They were 88th on third down, uh, which is quite painful, and uh, 54th on red zone points per attempt. So this is if this team is, and it was what I mean. Todd Graham was sort of the opposite of Rich Rodriguez. He had made his his name sort of as a defensive minded coach who coached a defense that could stop spread offenses. Um, and the fact that it was defense really that did him in at ASU, I, I think a lot of people found surprising. Absolutely. I look, I think ASU is going to suck this year. And there's a couple reasons. The, the first is the coaching. I just, I don't trust Herm Edwards. I don't trust their offensive coordinator. Granted, I think their defensive coordinator is excellent. We'll get into him when we talk about the defense, but like you mentioned, you know, this was a balanced offense and they certainly have a good quarterback. My, my first concern goes into the running back. I mean, they lose Demario Richard and Kalen Balazs, who were kind of the bell cow running backs for them, which is kind of silly because there's two of them, but there was, they had really these, uh, legitimate, 
consistent running backs. Granted, some of them got hurt over time, but they, they just, they were able to rely on them for the most part year after year. They are gone. And when I look at a new offensive coordinator and what they have at running back, we have Eno Benjamin, who in very limited attempts, he had 142 yards last year. Yes, he averaged six yards a carry. Uh, he had one touchdown. But one of the things that we, we've talked about on this podcast when we were looking at other teams is the secondary running backs, whether or not they can make the jump. And yes, 142 or yes, six yards per carry is fine, but only only 23 attempts. And I would love to have seen more out of that before I could start trusting an offense with a player who's quite young and quite unproven. I, I just I'm worried about this running back core. Do you have the same concerns on that front? I do. I mean, I, I don't think this is like the last couple of years where they had a guy that was an obvious stud, you know, kind of been waiting. Um, and ASU often sort of had a, you know, a Juco transfer in the wings, you know, some really good skill position guy. And I, I think you can make the argument like top to bottom ASU had one of the best sets, like overall sets of skill position players last year with Bellage, um, Nikhil Harry uh, and Manny Wilkins. I mean, that's as good as you'll find it a lot, you know, across all three positions of the conference. So um, I do have some concerns. I do think that the who what they're switching to with the new offensive coordinator who has more of an air raid background um, could potentially alleviate some of that. So I don't know that Benjamin's going to be asked to carry the same load um, that Bellage and Demario Richard were last year. So, I mean, all indications, people at ASU thought he had a great camp. People were really excited about him. Um, he, <laughs> despite the, if he made the, I think he made the, like, is it the Walter camp? Well, <laughs> you know, my sister made the Walter camp. I I mean, like everybody makes these. Oh, no. so Gardner, Gardner Minshew made one of the quarterback ones and he hasn't even named the starter yet at Washington state. <laughs> um, I, I don't think, I don't think this is deep. This isn't like they've, they've had in the past where they have two potential bell cow running backs. Like they are going to uh, depend on, Eno Benjamin, I think heavily um, for this, but I don't, I also don't think he's going to like, I, I doubt they're as balanced as an offense as they've been in the past. The one thing to mention is they are fairly young. Uh, Eno Benjamin is a sophomore, a true sophomore. The number two guy is Isaiah Floyd, who is a Juco transfer, who is a redshirt sophomore. Brock Sturgis is the number three guy, and he is a freshman. He's the number 33 running back in the 2018 class. They have some really good players that will be good over time, like A.J. Carter is a top 50 running back. Demetrius Flowers is a top 50 running back. So the talent yeah. is is there in the long run, but I just I don't trust it as much in the short uh, term. The one thing that I do grant, I, I do think this offense will be fairly good. The the shift to more the air raid offense with the Nikhil Harry, who is just uh, an incredible monster. Like, yeah, if <laughs> if you have not watched him play, like I'm an Arizona fan. I went to Arizona. Like I watch Arizona football. I love Arizona football. Uh, Nikhil Harry is one of the most exciting players I've ever seen play Pac-12 football. Like he is amazing. And uh, if you haven't yet, go to our, our website Wildcat Radio AZ. We did a whole uh, preview on him. We like did a Crayola drawing of him do, <laughs> catching a fade pass in the clouds. It's quite funny. Um, last year's and he's a monster by the way. Six four two thirteen. He uh, eighty two receptions last year for. 1100 yards 14 yards per catch uh eight touchdowns he is a potential national all-american and i think he will get that he's an early draft prospect he is the man what does somebody like him bring to an offense and what what can he allow uh an air raid system uh to like how does he make a system like that thrive he's gonna i mean i don't know if you could be more excited i mean he's I mean, if you think just remember michael crabtree at texas tech i mean they have relatively the same type of build uh, a lot of the same skills i mean just 
guys that could go up and can go up and will go up and get the ball, extremely physical receivers. Um, but guys that aren't just physical receivers. I mean, a lot of your big wideouts sometimes fall into that sort of guys that don't have great speed. Nikhil Harry has some wheels. Um, he's not necessarily like, he's not necessarily like always going to like, but he can, he can get open on a go route. He's not, I wouldn't say he's, you know, like jitterbug fast, but he's quite quick. Um, I, I think he opens up a lot on the outside. He's a guy that you have to double cover, and that really just opens opens this up because Kyle Williams is really good uh, as your slot receiver. Like he's <laughs> Kyle Williams, I expect to have a big year because teams are going to be spending so much time looking for where Nikhil Harry is. Um, he's yeah. I mean, I don't think there's a team in the Pac-12 where Nikhil Harry, and this includes USC, who I think has recruited a really well receiver. I don't. I think Nikhil Harry would come in and start. Yeah, I mean, when people look at this ASU offense and the ASU media takes a look and says, "Oh, well, we're going to be fine. This will be great. It'll be good experience." This is why they have Nikhil Harry, Kyle Williams, and Frank Darby as wide receivers in a spread offense with Manny Wilkins. That could be quite frightening. Yeah. Um, and like you mentioned, Kyle Williams is is a strong. Uh, He's a slot-ish receiver, right? 5'11", 182, 66 yeah. receptions, uh, 673 yards, seven touchdowns last year. He's going to be called on. The one bummer is they uh, this guy has the worst luck. Uh, John Humphrey, who was an Oklahoma transfer, got injured again. And if he was the third uh, wide receiver in the system, I mean, good Lord. Uh, this It's one of the best ones in the uh, Pac-12. He, however, is hurt. So uh, people are looking towards uh, Frank Darby, who has a lot of speed, and people really liked him in camp, and then Ryan Newsom as well. So I think there's there's definitely some – there's not even potential. This is a good wide receiving core, and they have a guy named C.J. Frenchlove, who is on the uh, 2017 uh, uh, name of the year 64 bracket uh, thing done by Deadspin. So shout out to C.J. Frenchlove. Um Overall, that's all great. Okay, cool. Whatever. We got a lot of we got a lot of talent here. I'm worried about this offensive line. Yes, they've brought in some transfers, um, including Casey Tucker, who came over from Stanford. He started 22 games at tackle there. With that said, like this line has not been good for four years, and they come in with a new coach and a new offensive system. And I think this is going to be the biggest. Uh, the biggest weakness and hindrance to this offense, unless they can get that ball out quickly. Um, yes, they have singer songwriter Steve Miller uh, as a starter listed on the team. Uh, yes, Cole Cabral is is fairly good, but uh, I have major questions about the depth. If anybody gets hurt, and I hope they don't, uh, but if anybody gets hurt on this line, there isn't a ton of depth here, and I think things could get quite ugly because you're going to have a lot of pressure on Manny Wilkins, and you have a uh, questionable running game. So, talk me off the ledge here on the the offensive line front now the line's going to be trouble for them again and uh, it's not that this is the first year that they've tried to plug it up with graduate transfer starters or transfer starters i mean this is this is asu has done this for years with often with guys that uh, came out of phoenix and signed elsewhere and then come back um but it hasn't really worked they haven't i mean they haven't gelled as a line um they've often struggled uh at times and it's i think for the past two years you could really say that asu has had i mean terrific skill position players i mean far better than a lot of the sort of mid-level pack 12 teams in the conference and it's really been the offensive line that's held the offense back um from really reaching their potential i i do think that they have 
I mean, grad transfers, I mean, these guys have experience, you know, in the right system where they're, where they're given clear expectations. I think it could work. Um, and by work, I mean, I'm not saying that this is going to grade out as one of the best offensive lines in the country or, you know, that these guys are going to end up being draft picks or anything like that. Um, but I think it could work. And I think if, if, if they're scheming enough, I mean, there is some talk that it's not just a, like a, they're not going to some crazy full air raid that there is, you know, that they might be end up being more under center with more of like a pro style Manny or a pro style Herm Edwards type attack. I'd be kind of surprised if that's what they fully go to these days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if that's the case, like then we have big questions. I mean, if they, if they do try to run the ball a lot, um, if that's what Hermed's, if Herm Edwards comes out with, and it's not a Rob Likens air raid type offense, like I don't, then this offensive line is going to be in trouble, and I, I don't know that they have the depth of running back to do something like that. So, yeah, and if you're Nikhil Harry, you quit like within three games. You, go, I'm Nikhil Harry. You give me the freaking ball. <laughs> like I yeah. am the best wide receiver you've probably ever had. And anyway, that, I mean, I guess I'm projecting, right? I'm assuming that they are going to throw him the ball. And, uh, but if they don't, no, I'm assuming get really like, we've been making that assumption with who was hired as the offensive coordinator. Um, you know, and but there are there is some chatter among you know ASU fan sites, I suppose, and I mean less so that I saw from like Doug Haler, but um, that ASU, you know, and I don't I don't think ASU's run is going to switch to more pro style offense. Like they just don't have the personnel. That'd be bananas. Yeah, poor one out for the Republic too. They lost like their entire sports staff to the Athletic a few days ago. So uh, hopefully yeah. they can pick up some good people there. I, lo- I thought Ted Miller was a good uh, recommendation on that front. Hey, one thing to mention because I am understating how disgustingly bad this offensive line has been. So in the last uh, three years, they've given up a combined 121 sacks. They ranked 124th in 2017, 119th in 2016, and 115th in 2015 out of 130 Division I schools. That is incredibly bad. This was a team who started its fourth uh, fourth string quarterback in 2016 because of the havoc and injury that this offensive line allowed on its quarterbacks. This is bad, bad, very bad. And the fact that uh, USC transfer, they had Roy Helmsley, who is like the number nine freshman guard of his class, um, isn't listed on the depth chart here. Uh, that's a big swing and a miss and somebody that was supposed to fill a hole. The other thing to mention is that Cole Cabral moving over to center. This has been tried before and it failed. Like he did this last year and they moved him back over because it wasn't a good idea. This is, this is one of those breaking case of emergency things again. So I I just think that there are major, major holes on this front and it could get really bad. Uh, But with that said, there is talent on this offense that could surpass like I mean, I think the season win total for them is like four and a half. So if this offense can click at least a little bit, that's going to get them in that four, five, six win range. But you got to look at the defense, man. Like, you know, 88th, 89th last year, not great. This defensive line. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, the offense projects to be very good this year. They project to be at 29. They have have some returning production. Um, they rank 31st in that and, and that bodes well. I mean, but again, like you said, I mean, it all comes down to the offensive line because ASU's had, like I said, like some of the best skill position players in the country. If the line can at least be average, like this ASU offense could be extremely dangerous. 
you know, moving over to defense, we have yeah. to start um, with Danny Gonzalez, who is the defensive coordinator that he brought over from uh, San Diego State. Th- this is a good hire, particularly on the front of the fact that like ASU's coaches just dropped and bolted out of t- uh, Tempe in like the middle of the night. So for him to come in last mo- minute and swoop in somebody like Danny Gonzalez, who um, you know, I know Rob, you watch a lot of Mountain West football. What what has like why is Danny Gonzalez a good hire for ASU? So he's he comes out of the he comes out of Rocky Long's sort of I mean if you were gonna say coaching tree, I don't know that Rocky Long has a coaching tree, but Rocky Long's been coaching three three five defense for a long time. Um and he's extremely good at it. That those San Diego State teams, everybody remember remembers Darnell Pelfrey, but they're really built on Rocky Long's defenses. Um People forget that Rocky Long actually coached Brian Erlacher at New Mexico. Um, you know, he had some good defenses there too. So he's Danny Gonzalez has been orchestrating, you know, and learning from I think one of the better, you know, more underrated coaches out west than Rocky Long. Um, he knows this system inside and out, and it's not just the Todd Graham, you know, crazy blitzing three three five that he ran. Um, this is going to be more of a Rocky Long's defenses. They do blitz, but they're far more disciplined, um, and they're going to make you earn it, uh, you're, you know, yard for yard. And I think he's a he's a really well respected play caller. Um, you know, he he puts together that game plan along with Long that when they beat Stanford last year. Um, I think it's. I mean, you're sort of stealing some of my thunder. Like, I mean, I, I yeah, this is. I, I completely agree. Really good hire. With that said, <laughs> like, yeah. not a lot to work with. <laughs> they lose DJ Calhoun. They lose Chad yeah. Adams. They lose uh, Jamarcus Rhodes. They uh, JJ Wilson is injured. Um, some of these players, like that I'm mentioning, are were really. I don't want to say that like because ASU's offense or defense sucked. So I'm not, I don't want to say that they were like instrumental into the success of the Sun Devil defense. But they certainly had stats, and they certainly got to the quarterback. And most of that is because of Todd Graham's like, like I was saying the Yolo defense, where just blitz or die, baby. And and they were disruptive, and they were talented players. They're gone. And one of the things that worries me is the fact that Rocky Long and Danny Gonzalez run this like two defensive and uh, one kind of big old nose tackle guy. And ASU isn't built for that this year they and, and even the guys on like uh on the devil uh, not devil's digest but one of the speak of the devil's podcast we're talking about this where their personnel does not fit the defense uh, as it is should be in place right now and one of the things that yeah. really worries me is the fact that darius slade who is an ohio state transfer was kind of expected to fill one of those defensive end spots he was uh he had a hamstring in- injury at ohio state but he was ripped and people were really excited about him he is not like listed as a top starter and they're going to to these very unproven players that I just, I mean, like how, like Jalen Bates didn't play last year, but people said he had a good spring, but like Rendell Wren, like this guy, they've been talking about this guy for four years and just, he hasn't put it together. And if you haven't done that in four years, like they don't have a tackle really. And they don't have a ton of talent on defensive end. So I'm really worried that this, this defensive line is going to put zero pressure on the quarterback and they're going to have to rely on their secondary, which was okay, but it wasn't great. Uh, is there like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just very worried about the, like Douglasson's subtle. 
That's a good name, by the way. Two tackles last year. Right? He's starting at defensive yeah. end. Not not maybe a good sign, I think, particularly since uh, he's had some time to fill into the system. He's a redshirt senior. So when you're looking at these players that have had zero production for four years that are now on the defensive line and expected to handle a USC offensive line and run after a Khalil Tate, that I just don't think that that's going to be helpful. We've seen what happens when you don't have a good defensive line. Um, why do you think this team is going to be good if they can't pressure the quarterback? Well, I would say that I think that so ASU's defense projects to be 59th this year, which is a big improvement over where they were at 88th. Um, the model knows. I mean, they lost. They ranked 114th out of 130 in returning production on defense. Um, defense, but they've recruited pretty well. Um, and recruiting is just more on defense is, is more correlated with success than returning production. You just you need athletes on defense and. ASU does have some athletes. You're right to question whether they can really handle this. Does does this three-man front, are they able to eat up blocks and free up the linebackers um, and free up um, those outside, you know, the the two outside safeties um, to be able to come in and be able to make tackles near the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage? Um, They are not, it doesn't look like that currently they're projecting, I mean, they may have a rush linebacker in there. I haven't seen it in what they're doing. So yeah, I'm, I'm uncertain on that front too. I'm sure that they, they're going to be they, adding pressure. That's one of the things yeah. that three, three, five does, but they used to have something called the devil backer. They may again have something like the devil backer, but it's, they're going, they're, they're going to be relying on those outside linebackers to be coming in and providing a, a lot of the pressure. And I don't, you're right. I mean, it's, it's a big question if you don't if you're not able to you know in, in a three-man front if you are not able to eat up blocks then um your your linebackers are in trouble because you're going to be having you know guards or guards or tackles coming free to to, to block them well and then when you look at their wide receivers so jj wilson isn't playing the first game let's see let's assume that he's going to play down the line okay so you have a player that is fine i mean he had 46 tackles last year um karan Crump is still injured and is uh, not yeah. listed as uh, a starter uh, for the first game. At least he's out. He's the most experienced linebacker you have on this team. Um, now you're looking at Kylon Thomas, uh, Merlin Robertson, who is the number 11 outside linebacker in the country last year, who could be quite good. Um, but I mean, geez, like it, it would be different. I'm trying to think of the team. Oh, it was a uh, Colorado where we were saying, okay, the, you know, the defensive line might suck, but at least they have linebackers there that can provide some cover as much as humanly possible. And even then we're yeah. like, oh, man, this defense is going to suck. This is the same thing without the linebackers. I just like it's gonna, well, the, I yeah. guess the difference I would say is that at least with at least with ASU, they're unproven. Like we don't know. I mean, like with Colorado's guys like, yeah, they're going to get a bunch of tackles, but they're going to get a bunch of tackles like at least three yards beyond the line of scrimmage. Um, <laughs> with ASU guys, like, yeah, well, you know, a lot of them haven't played that much, so maybe they're great. Uh, I don't know that that's the assumption I would make. I think true freshmen tend to play like true freshmen. Um, you'd much rather be rotating in guys that have some seasoning, um, you know, a little more than what they've got. I mean, they, I'd feel more, I, I think everyone would feel more comfortable if they had Karan Crump. Um, back and fully healthy. I do, they expect him to play a little against UTSA, but this is a big concern for this defense. I mean, this defense is, I think there's some downside. I mean, if you're going to project upside, I think it's that they, they bring in somebody that's extremely competent 
as their defensive coordinator and that they've recruited fairly well. I mean, in, including this year when they did recruit, very, they closed very well on defense uh, to finish out their recruiting. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm not. I like. I, I would. Exp- I, I. I wouldn't expect them to be as bad as last year. I'd be shocked if you brought in Tanner Gonzalez and finished 88th in defense. But okay. your the, their front seven is a big concern, especially it, if you if you can't stop the run. It just reminds me of Arizona's linebacking core two years ago, where we looked at it and just went, "Who is who's going to play?" Like yeah. we had we had seniors and juniors that had nine, ten, four, six tackles their entire career, and then you look at ASU's depth chart and you have like Malik uh, Laywall who has had nine tackles last year as a as a redshirt junior, and you go, he's starting for this team behind a yeah. non-existent defensive line. This is probably bad. So. And one thing to mention, and we mentioned this on our week one preview, UTSA can run the ball. Now, you know, ASU should beat UTSA, but like, if you want to know if there are warning signs, like take a look and see how many yards UTSA has in this game against ASU, because I think that will give you a decent look into where this defense possibly goes. The one saving grace is Chase. UTSA's Mm -hmm. offense was not good last year. I mean, they were a decent team because they had a good defense. So you're right. I mean, if UTSA lines up and runs the ball on them, yeah, it could be bad. Um, the one saving grace I think here is Chase Lucas. And we've talked about it on this podcast. I was talking about this with Kate Scott. Like last year, the Pac-12 was really the the conference of underclassmen cornerbacks. Like it's amazing how many good cornerbacks were in this league that were freshmen and sophomores that are now becoming sophomores and juniors. And one of them was Chase Lucas. He is very good. 59 tackles, eight pass breakups, two interceptions. He's going to be their lockdown corner after him. I don't know. Like Kobe Williams is definitely going to be their second corner. He had five passes broken up or uh, an interception. Um, one of the players that they were mentioning was Jalen Harvey. He was a guy that was a converted, gosh, I want to say he was a converted running back who Where's had he? a really good yeah. spring. Everybody was a wide receiver. Yeah. Everybody was talking about him being really solid. He's going to be there, but okay. Now we're talking about moving over wide receivers into our safety core to try to mask. I think a lot of problems that they had, um, in the three three five, though, they do have uh, an ability to use their athletes. So, like Evan Fields, who's a sophomore who had sixteen tackles last year, will likely start. Um, he has an opportunity to prove himself, but he also has an opportunity to get burned by some of the best quarterbacks in the country. So, uh, what do you what are you seeing in the secondary here? I mean, across the secondary, I mean, it's nice to have Chase Lucas there. Um, you know, I think Kobe Williams, you know. There, there are a lot of teams across the Pac-12 who are going to be starting guys with about as much experience as he has coming back. <laughs> um, you know, one of their corner spots. Um, I think the one thing when you look across, in particular, their safeties is like these are some pretty tall guys. I mean, they're all over six feet. That's unusual. You know, usually defensive backs, you know, and safeties are not that tall. Um, I, I guess I'd worry a little bit about team speed. Um, you know, at the safety position with with that many guys over six feet playing there. Okay, that wasn't convincing, Rob. <laughs> wasn't? Ah, <laughs> they, they, oh, they're tall. No, no. I mean, like, I, I as a, as a tall person, like I like you, like generally a defensive back, you have guys that are a little shorter. Um, like they're a little too short to play wide receiver, and they don't catch the ball, so you can't put them in the slot. Um, but you need wheels, you know, like it's, it's rare to see safeties. I mean, it's rare. Like we've looked across, we've looked across a lot of rosters. We have not seen like a whole list of safeties over six feet tall. 
Um, Much less three of them. Yeah, that, that, yeah. that is a fair point. I mean, I, I, I would be concerned with, you know, hip fluidity. Are they going to be able to make the turns? Like, how are these guys going to cover? Are they going to cover as well as, I mean, you can say, with, like, we always think of it with, like, we, it's easy to think of when you think of, like, a running back, like, pad level. Um, you know, like, we always talk about with, like, tall running backs versus smaller running backs. Like, these guys could probably lay the wood and put out some punishment, but um, are they going to be as good in coverage? Yeah. One thing to mention, we're going to get into their schedule here because we have a little bit of extra time and I want to talk about like what we think their win total will be. Um, before we do, definitely again, tune in every week. We're going to be previewing uh, the week ahead and reviewing the games that happen. We're doing contests and we're going to be talking about the Pac-12 spreads. Uh, we'll be announcing our survivor pool uh, winners and eliminators and all that stuff. So definitely check in. And if you haven't yet, we did our week one preview. It was a little bit of uh, we were kind of testing around some different microphones you'll be able to tell the difference between the quality of the sound in that one and this one. Like, just know that this is kind of our going to be our world where we have pretty good uh, sound quality and we're going to improve it. I'm actually looking at some other things, but we were just testing some in-house uh, microphones, which were okay. So we probably won't do that again. Um, with that said, definitely check it out. Um, we went through every single game and we'll definitely use Rob's beta rank numbers to talk about like what the win probabilities are and all that stuff. So it should be quite interesting. We're going to try to keep the, uh, the podcast interactive and fresh and change things up and just like and just make sure that it's it's uh moving quickly rather than just kind of like a grind we don't want you to have to think like oh god uh, an hour and 30 minutes of pac-12 football i don't know if i can do this today so we just want to get it to you quick and easy in a way that's that's digestible so tune into that um with that said let's take a look at asu's schedule here so uh, it's it's kind of brutal you have utsa at home which they should win right i mean i would assume like the model has them What's the win probability? This might be on the top of your head. I'm probably, uh, but do you know, uh, like roundabouts? 82, 82%. Okay, 82%. Um, then they're, they have Michigan State at home. 17%. Um, okay. <laughs> That's good to know. Uh, you have to take a look at my bookie uh, after that. Um, and well, wait, have, wait, till we get, wait till we get a little data. I, that will get updated after they play UTSA. So, okay. yeah, at the moment. Um, at San Diego State, that is not an easy game. Now, they don't have Rashad Penny, but we had previewed this game, again, on our week one preview. Um, San Diego State's run, de- run offense should still be quite good. They have a really good, like their backup running back had almost 800 yards and like seven touchdowns, and that's behind Rashad Penny. So it's still really, really good. Um, I don't know. Like I, I think that that's got to be a toss-up. And I would maybe give a little bit of the edge to San Diego State. I know we're, we're kind of projecting. We won't be able to see how Arizona State plays. But if you were to look at that game, who would be favored? Uh, Arizona State's going to be favored um, in that game. On the uh, road? Yeah. But yeah. it's it's not much. I mean, they have a 67 at the moment, about a 67, closer to 68% chance of winning that game. That's not a ton for a power five team playing at, I mean, a group of five team, um, San Diego state. I mean, we'll see how they shake out. I think they're, I think they're be a little better than the model projects them perhaps, but I think it's, I think it's, I mean, that's at the level of, you know, when you have a, when you're below 70%, like one turnover and an unexpected stop and you lose the game. Um, so San Diego state's been pretty good at turning the ball over. I wouldn't, it's not a game I'd probably put a lot of money on. Okay, let's say best case scenario, they win those two games. They're two and one going in. Uh, they they're on the road at Washington. I think that's a loss. They, oh, that's definitely a loss. They're, they've got they've got a roughly ten percent shot in that game. Yeah, and then, then here you go. Like although they beat them last year, and I mean, it's roughly the same. 
So no, okay. So so here's the thing. So our friends at the dog pot always talk about this, and they're right. And it actually cost me some money on this. Where Arizona was playing, uh, this was two years ago. Arizona was playing Washington. This was the game JJ Taylor got hurt, and I had interviewed them. Oh, and on Brandon the, Dawkins balled out. Like. That's right, and and that was the game I'm talking about. So. I took Washington and I talked with our friends at the dog pod and they said, don't take Washington. We always play terribly. We've played terribly for like 60 years in the desert. Like there's a, they call them the desert dogs. I, and I bet on Air, uh, Washington because Arizona, I thought was going to suck this year, that year. And they did. Um, and then we took them into overtime. And, and then I went the opposite last year because of what they were talking about and ASU won. And I was like, Oh, like I'll take my money on that one. Heck yeah. I even sprinkled some on the money line just cause I figured, <laughs> well, they play bad in the desert and they, they think that's a thing that I think is a thing too. So with all that said, they are not playing in the desert. They are playing up in Washington. Um, but the next two games I think are going to be the defining games for this team. They, they have yeah. Oregon state at home and then they're on the road at Colorado. What, what are the probabilities for those games? So Oregon State, they've got an 88% chance to win that game. Uh, Colorado, they're, they're favored, again, like 67% to win that game. So it's not – they're not far from a toss-up. So, like, that's – like, Colorado would roughly have a one-third shot. And this is totally preseason data. So by the time we get to them playing Colorado, we will have a ton of in-season data. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I will have updated the numbers then. Uh, but just based on preseason data, Colorado – I mean – it wouldn't be a shock for Colorado in that game. I mean, that's not outside the realm of like of where it's like, oh, that'd be nuts. Um, but ASU, I mean, again, like Colorado was really bad last year, um, and everybody's like buying into Stephen Montez and some wide receivers that haven't played a lot. Like, I'm sorry, I'll take Manny Wilkins and Nikhil Harry. Like, Colorado's got a questionable offensive line and a questionable defense. So, okay. yeah, like that's that game. Like, I think a lot of people are sort of chalking up as a loss for sure. And I actually think that's a game that uh, maybe even by the time we get to it, it will not be far. It, like I, I would not expect this to move unless, unless Colorado or ASU turn out to be really bad. If they are roughly where we project them, this will probably only move closer to a toss up. All right. I'm going to name three games here. Give, let me just know yeah. if you think there's any chance that Arizona state wins uh, Stanford at home. Air, yeah. uh, AS, uh, I'm sorry. Stanford at home, USC on the road, Oregon on the road. No. No to all three? No to all three. Okay. The other three, I think there's some chances here. Utah goes into Arizona State uh, on November 3rd. UCLA. They suck suck when they play at Arizona State. Utah? Yeah. Oh, I'm going to have to remember that. I didn't think about that. Uh, What do you think? Do you think it's just because it's hot? No, I don't know what it is. Like they, they, although ASU went, I mean, in Utah was better than projected last year. ASU went up there and beat them. And actually, the model had ASU favored in, in that game at that time. And then ASU fell off at the end of the year, and Utah picked it up. But mm. ASU, I, like, they've got a 44% chance in that game with Utah. Um, some of it's because they're they're at home. They get a bump in that. So it's it, it appears a little bit closer. I think by the end of the – I think by the time we get to that part of the year, like, Utah might be even a little better. Um, so I would – that's going to be a tough game for them, I yeah. think. It, but like, but the things that we always assume that like that we would say like, oh, the Utah pass rush could make that game really difficult. Like, we're not sure about the current Utah, you know, defensive line the way we have been in the past. So, 
Yeah. We'll see. Well, just know that all the Utah fans are recording this segment, and they will send it to you at the end of the year when Utah beats Arizona State. Uh, oh, I know. They do. No, last last year, like the preseason model liked Arizona a little more than it liked Utah, and it was like a seventy percent chance Arizona was going to win that game. And I, I never heard the end of it from Utah fans, even though it <laughs> took them five turnovers to beat Brandon Dawkins. And I tried to explain to them that things that happen a third of the time are not rare, but it did not. It did, just didn't translate. That was the worst Pac-12 game the entire year. Um, UCLA, Yeah, UCLA at ASU. Toss-up. I have no idea. Do you? I mean, I, no. I, I would take Chip Kelly over Herm Edwards. But I have no idea. Like, I mean, both of these teams have deeply questionable lines. I mean, the only, I guess at some level, like, the only sure talent, again, is Manny Wilkins and Nikhil Harry. Nikhil Harry. So maybe give ASU a slight bump in that game. The model has it currently as a, 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 a straight toss-up, you know, 0.5. What about the Arizona game? It's got it as a 0.5 right now. ASU project, like, ASU ends up projecting... Um, at number 48 and Arizona projects at 46. So they are not far apart from each other. It really just depends on if, um, if ASU's, I don't think ASU has an immense amount of upside versus the model um, where they project. And if their defense is anywhere near that projection, um, then they could stay with it with, with Arizona. I think there is upside on the defense, although I'm, really worried about the offensive line at the moment (laughs) um i do think that there's upside though for arizona more than where the model has them so um i mean by that time shoot i'll be able i mean i'll feel pretty confident about whatever the model's putting out by that time but um it does have that as a toss-up right now i mean these are both teams that it's not that surprising though i mean these are both teams that fired their coaches last year khalil tate i mean there's just that factor and yes. then this Herm Edwards factor, the one thing is he's looming over this, like like God from the heavens, just looking at all these right. things. Where, where should I squash this bug and squash this? Like, I just think there's this big aura of uh, of Herm over all of these games, and it'll just be interesting to see. Uh, like, in all of those instances, right, I'm going to take Kyle Whittingham over Herm Edwards. I'm going to even take uh, uh, McIntyre over Herm Edwards. I'm going to take... Um, Chip Kelly over Herm Edwards. I'm going to take uh, Rocky Long over Herm Edwards. I mean, I just yeah. Until he proves no, I'd it, take, I'll take. I mean, I would take Kevin Sumlin, and I. I think I don't think that Noel Mazzoni was an inspired offensive coordinator hire, but he's good. You know, he's not great. He's good. There's yeah. nothing. I don't know. I don't know that. Like we know so much about him. I don't know that. I, like there's some crazy upside hiding there, but. Um, you know, I, I'll take him over the guy that ASU has. Um, I like ASU's defensive coordinator more than I like Arizona's defensive coordinator higher. But here's the thing about ASU, too. Like, Zing and Zalas is gone. I don't know that, like, I think that's going to be a bigger problem for them than we're sort of thinking. <laughs> is that the kicker? You know, like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. He was phenomenal. I mean, he's, I mean, as, as much as everyone talks about uh, Utah's kickers, like saying Gonzalez was, you know, arguably the best kicker in the country last year. And one of the reasons they put up so many points in the red zone. So college kickers are a mess. And if you have a good one, it makes a big difference. Okay. All right. Well, let's leave that there. Tune in. They, the model only projects them at like five and a half wins. I think they might get to like, I, I think I, I think I'd take the under on that. It's possible they get to six. I mean, there is there is a if you squint, you can see a pathway to do it. 
But uh, it'll just be interesting to see. I think they're going to get kicked around by some of these teams that are a little bit lower on the totem pole. But um, but we'll see. And I hope they do get kicked around, by the way. <laughs> so this is the one well, team I where... That, I mean, that Michigan State game could just be soul-crushing. I'm um, going to watch every minute of it, too, if it's that bad. Because Michigan State returns, like, every, I mean, everyone off uh, a pretty good team last year. Rick DeNice is going to keep getting me to change the channel. I'm like, no, no, we die with Herm Edwards. Damn it. This is where we, <laughs> <laughs> this is beautiful. <laughs> well, I mean, it, there, there is the potential, though, like, if the Herm just becomes a distra- like, if they end up getting smoked by Michigan State and then two weeks later, I mean, and then loot, like, and it's not infeasible to go out and then lose to San Diego State um, and then get smoked by Washington, you know, like it could start to be like the narrative could just be like, is Herm in over his head? And that just becomes this like big distracting narrative like the, all year. Cause like the guy's already done, like what is he on? Is like 70th. Inter- I mean, I'm exaggerating probably a little bit, but like the dude does nothing but interviews. Like it's unbelievable. Well, and, and I think that that can turn backwards. I, I think he's great yeah. right now. I mean, the fact that he actually released a depth chart, he actually lets people go to the practices. He yeah. is like open to everything. That is, that's great. I like that. Uh, I thought it was great that he apologized to everybody for having to come in on like Good Friday. <laughs> like, I'm so sorry we right. didn't practice today. I didn't plan this. Somebody else did. I'm only here because I have to be. Uh, I appreciated right. that. That was, I thought that was quite charming. With that said, this could flip. Like very easily, and it, and you could see the seeds of it when he was talking about like cutting players, like with yeah. their scholarships and stuff. Like I could see a scenario where they get boat raced three games in a row, and he's like, "These guys don't even care," you know, these guys, and, and just dealing with them like you would deal NFL players, and and you just can't do that with eighteen, nineteen year old kids that uh, have well, they, other things they, to do on they campus. Better win that Colorado game because if they go out of Colorado with a loss and they're only in between is like a win versus Oregon State. Ugh. If you go. Lost to like smoked by Michigan State, lose to San Diego State, even if it's close. Hammered by Washington, beat Oregon State, but whatever. And then lose to Colorado, hammered by Stanford, hammered by USC. You're probably going to get mauled by Utah at that point because like everybody's just like, oh, get this over with. <laughs> All right, I good mean, time. That, yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> tough. It could be a tough season. Yeah, let, let's end it there on, on a down down point. I want to do that with ASU. Let's just leave it all depressing. It'll be great. <laughs> hey, we are supposed to be a Pac-12 pod. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. We did cover them. I almost thought about skipping them, but uh, we want to make sure to, to give them their due diligence. So um, everybody stay tuned. Uh, we're going to release this, obviously, likely on Thursday. But um, every Monday, man, we're going to be up with a new podcast. Just know that it's going to be like clockwork. So uh, stay with us. Have fun with us. We're excited. Follow us, by the way. We're going to be tweeting out the game game stuff on two uh, uh, Twitter accounts. The first is 12-Pack Radio, 1-2-P-A-C Radio. And the other is Wildcat Radio, A-Z, Wildcat Radio, A-Z. Like, like just watch with us. It is packed. College football Twitter is so fun. It's one of the best things in the world. It's like the one good thing Twitter is for. So uh, stay tuned with us on that front. And we would love to interact with you guys. And with that said, we will catch you in a few days. Absolutely. Thanks.